this installment of Seven Minute Seminary is coming from a high mountaintop just south of Nazareth and just on the north edge of the Jezreel Valley. It's from this mountaintop that the folks of Nazareth tried to do a little violence on Jesus by tossing him over the edge since they didn't like what he preached. But for our purposes, it's important because just behind me here is Mount Tabor, which is the scene of the desperate battle led by Deborah and Barak against Sisera and all of his Canaanite chariotry, where they were outgunned, uh, out overwhelmed, and God brought about a miraculous victory, ironically through the rain. And rain and cold and wind is what we've got here today. But I'd like to take some time now to talk about violence in the Old Testament in the context of the book of Judges. So let's turn to that now. This is our third installment, and we're turning to the book of Judges, and we're going to take up not holy war, but hero war. This is where God raises up heroes to lead his people into valiant battle in defense of themselves and in honor of God's lordship. And just as the book of Joshua didn't end up teaching the reader to be violent, in the same way, I want to show you how the presentation of violence, even at times with approval in Judges, does not end up encouraging the reader to perpetrate violence. In fact, few books will sharpen our disgust and distaste for violence, especially religiously motivated violence, than does Judges. So what does it do with this material? What is it teaching us? Today I have seven facts about the book of Judges and its treatment of violence and warfare to challenge and encourage your study and thinking. I should also say that I'm sharing this with you, as I said, overlooking the Jezreel Valley, there's not a better place in the world to consider this theme, one of the most desperate and decisive battles in the Old Testament, found in Judges 4 and 5. All right, fact number one is a big one. The book of Judges uses an ancient literary type, a genre known as heroic literature. Unlike holy war, where the leader and people are transparent, they're almost anonymous, blank slates for the power of God, in hero war literature, the unique human characteristics of the leaders and people come out with striking, entertaining, and often disturbing clarity. The book of Judges is a book of wars led by heroes, raised up by God, helped by God, but also using their natural abilities, cunning, skills, and courage. The divine is still at work, but it's embodied and even hidden at times in the all-too-human heroes. This type of literature is well known the world over, and it's what we find in Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, whose events are really contemporary with the events in Judges. We find it again in Beowulf and even in the tales of the Wild West in the United States. This literary genre celebrates the exploits of outstanding people. No eulogizing of the ordinary here, no democracy of the mediocre. Physicality becomes the idiom of excellence. Whether handsome or ugly, heroes are never common. Saul was the tallest. David was ruddy, a real man. Ehud's left-handedness suggests he was a warrior trained in two-handed weapon use. The storyteller relates the deeds of the heroes, invariably violent encounters, with delicious detail. The heroic narrator doesn't flinch from violence, but as the literary critic George Siner says, he looks on life with blank, unswerving eyes like the ones staring out of the helmet slits on early Greek vases. His vision is terrifying in its sobriety, cold as the winter sun. Deborah would agree, singing in Judges 5, May your enemies perish, O Yahweh, and may those who love you rise like the sun in his strength. Such gusto scandalizes the domestic sensibility of later readers, ancient and modern. The Talemaster recounts the murder of Eglon by Ehud and of Sisera by Yael with gleeful energy, 
celebrating the hero's craftiness with humor and sometimes dark, scandalous humor. Likewise, his interest in the weaponry or implements of the heroes. Think of Ehud's dagger, Yael's tent peg, Gideon's torches. It's an element of his savoring every detail. To be sure, these heroes are raised up and empowered by God and the victories credited to God. But the real drama of the stories and judges comes from the increasingly complex and disturbing human characters, their own sometimes fractious relationships with Yahweh and his people, who become the instruments and expression of Yahweh's will. The ancients loved these kind of stories. This was a part of the cultural fabric into which God was revealing himself, weaving the strands of his truth amongst the fibers of fallenness forming the human tapestry. Fact two, the book of Judges presents the heroes in a framework that emphasizes how Israel fell into steadily deeper and deeper sin, alienated from God and far from his will. Like a metronome, the book state repeatedly, the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. This places all the heroes and battles into a context of apostasy and national emergency. It's not a righteous, obedient Israel that receives the mission of these historic warriors, but an apostate, cringing, and divided people. According to judges, if Israel had been faithful, they would have needed no war heroes. That's a subtle and subversive question mark over the whole hero war theme. Fact number three, the book puts the heroes in a sequence that begins with the most praiseworthy heroes, whose heroic victories become the property of the whole community. The opening list of heroes, Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, and Deborah, all feature an act by an individual that is almost immediately owned by the whole nation. Ehud murders the evil king Eglon, and then the entire nation rises up. Deborah celebrates in Judges 5 how the Israelites came out in response to the call, praising the volunteers in Israel. In a subtle way, these early stories relate the quality of the hero's career to the extent to which the whole people exemplify his heroism. As we read on in the book of Judges, we notice a crack and then a chasm opening up between the heroes and the very Israelites they should be serving. Fact number four. The sequence of heroes also stresses how the very center of the material, the human heroes, forms its weakest link. Gideon, after beating back the Midianites, abandons his responsibility to lead the community forward, and Israel falls under the bruising and violent rule of Abimelech, a homegrown oppressor. Yahweh wanted more than deliverance and reversion to the status quo. Yahweh wanted a human community with human institutions and leaders grounded in His Word and embodying His will for human life. The vision of human wholeness seen in Eden and lost in sin was to be recovered, even if only partially, in Israel's concrete life as a human nation and with all that that implies in the Promised Land. Gideon won the victory, but then he backed away from the vision of a human nation in which Yahweh's kingdom would come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Gideon had successes, but he, he denied the nation successors. He surrendered the future for the sake of the present. Fact five, the sequence of heroes shows us the dark side of the heroes and how, despite the good they do, they leave behind a trail of tragedy. As we read in the book of Judges, the characters become increasingly complex. Shows up first with Gideon and his hesitation before God's call and even his apparent vengefulness. Then the Jephthah story shows us a man despised and rejected by his own people, restored to dignity and leadership and successful, only to meet a tragedy of his own making. Then there's Samson, who heroically stood alone against the onslaught of the Philistines, the most threatening military force ever to confront the Israelites. When everyone else stayed home, 
hid, compromised, Samson put his life on the line. And yet few characters in the Bible embody personal failure and tragedy more deeply. The Bible might be telling us something here about reliance upon single, prominent individuals who break the rules and do amazing deeds. Is that really the best way to create a human, earthly embodiment of God's kingdom? Fact 6. The book tells us in its stories to show how the period of the heroes caused Israel to decline into internal chaos and self-destructive violence. Israel abandoned Yahweh for other gods and fell under oppression by foreign nations. And in the end, in 17 to 21, everyone is all about worshiping Yahweh. But their worship of Yahweh involves distortions of Yahweh's own revelation. And their idea of Yahweh actually becomes a false god, and their practice of worshiping Yahweh becomes a false paganized cult. Rather than foreign enemies oppressing them, Israel becomes its own worst enemy at the end of the book. The two narratives there at the end each begin with an obscure private household, almost invisible in the great sweep of history. They stress the small domestic choices, little moves away from the covenant. These in turn get swept into a larger torrent of evil, resulting in ghastly atrocities, the perversion of Israel's faith on a national level, the brutal death of innocent people, and the near extermination of one of Israel's tribes. The author takes the violence that had figured in Israel's deliverances and now uses it to show how the Israel that lived by the sword dismembers itself and risks dying by the sword. Not a good case for warfare, is it? Fact 7. The crux of self-destructive chaos at the end of the book of Judges embodies the very thing we find most striking about the heroes. These were persons who boldly stepped up and did what had to be done. They were decisive. But in Judges 17-21, to the writer tells us everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Here he probes behind the idolatry and sin of the first part of the book, the hero stories, and reveals the underlying problem arrogant human willfulness. The belief that we can make or be our own standard of right or wrong, that I can do whatever I want, even worship Yahweh the way I want, and be under no authority. Tellingly, the writer slips in the theme of human community, noting four times in five chapters, in those days there was no king in Israel. A redemptive, righteous human community cannot be formed on the basis of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. And that's the point of the book of Judges. Yes, God used mighty men of valor, heroes and warriors, to rescue Israel in times of danger. But this whole scenario just underlines how Israel had abandoned the vision of being the human nation that exemplified divine righteousness. The kingdom of priests mediating God to the world, the holy nation embodying the very character of God, vanished. Which is the point I keep stressing in these seven-minute seminary sessions. The violence is here because it really happened, and God always works in and through the real world with all its grit and grime. The key is what the Bible is trying to say to us through the presentation of all too real world violence. So the restless and disturbing cast of characters and judges, oppressors, liberators, mothers, villains, heroes, lovers, seducers, assassins, gangsters, whores, and tricksters, it's all harnessed to point the reader to a larger vision of the community and kingdom towards which Yahweh is leading his people.